You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Now, our sermon series during this the, the autumn season has been rekindled, and the idea is, um, you know, rekindling our faith, rekindling our walk with God, reestablishing. Uh, a deeper love, a deeper passion, whatever it might be. I think that's something every every Christian goes through. I think there are times when we just think, well, where did it go? And it could be that even spiritually, we've been doing a routine that turned into a rut. And, and we didn't realize it. We just kind of got ourselves stuck in it. And uh, what happens when you, when you do a routine that gets you stuck in a rut, uh, what happens is you... Um, you just kind of go through the motions. You know what I mean? Um, it just becomes business as usual. And, uh, man, I am so susceptible to that myself. Like I said, this as I was working on this message, it, it started working on me. And I began to look at ways. How am I just doing things you know, in my life with Jesus? And it's just become business as usual. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Uh, I'm probably running all over the place like a chicken with his head cut off. And God's just looking at me like, what are you doing, man? What's going on here? Um, so if you feel that way uh, from time to time or feel like that way right now, I, I pray and I hope and I think we should pray that um, that today's message is not from me, but straight from God and, and that he goes to work in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you know, we, we're in a routine right now, uh, you know, our our church service it it has a pattern of giving it's what we do we start off by giving our praises and our worship to you Um, we give of our tithes and our offerings Um, we give of ourselves to one another as we um, listen to what's going on in each other's lives and and uh, pray for the concerns and worries that that each of us have and share in the joys and the triumphs that that we walk through as well Uh, lord thank you for that um then we enter into a time of, of uh, giving ourselves to your word. And, uh, Lord, hopefully from that we go out of this place giving you uh, to this community uh, and uh, the people that, that you surround us with in our lives. Um, it's a good routine, Lord. Uh, but, yeah, maybe sometimes even as a whole church we might fall into business as usual. So, Lord, we don't want that. And I know you don't want that. So I, I just pray, God, that you give to us from your spirit um, something from your word today that sets us into a whole new pattern, um, that gets us out of a rut, uh, gets us out of going through the motions, um, gets us out of just doing business as usual, and walking with you and relating with you uh, in, a, in a deeper, more passionate way than ever before. And, and we pray that, Lord, so that your will would be done in our lives, and we pray that your kingdom would, would flourish uh, here in this world. So, Lord, what we long for and what we're asking for right now is that you would make this a holy moment, and that heaven would intersect with earth, and we would know it. This is something we cannot conjure up, and it's something we cannot um, uh, make happen. It's something we desperately need for your Holy Spirit to do for us. So we pray for that. And, uh, and we ask this all in, in the name of our Savior. Amen. So there's a story in John chapter 2. Uh, comes kind of right on the heels of Christ's first miracle. 
Uh, and it's chronologically in place. And this might confuse a few people because it, the, the heading in John chapter 2, right around verse, I think, 13 is where we're going, uh, is usually the cleansing of the temple. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Synoptic Gospels, which means same view, same angle, um, you, you go, wait a minute, didn't the cleansing happen just before the crucifixion? Yes. Here's what we often miss. Jesus cleansed the temple twice. Uh, he kind of got into a routine too, of temple cleansing. One very early on, very early on in his ministry that pretty much established right there at the get-go that he was going to be antagonistic to the business as usual that uh, Israel was conducting. And another time to indicate that uh, sometimes as people we just don't get the point. Sometimes he needs to repeat himself to us. Jesus is very good at bringing back memories. Uh, he did that with Peter. Uh, you know, uh, Matt just preached about Peter, how he went from a denier of Jesus to a defender of Jesus. Okay, And you might remember that it was at a charcoal fire where Peter was warming himself when he, he, he did the three I don't know hymns. And did you know that it was sometime after, you know, shortly after the resurrection when Jesus met him on the beach and he called Peter over to himself and said, let's eat some breakfast. And they cooked some fish. You know what kind of fire they had? A charcoal fire. You ever wonder why Scripture is so specific? How powerful are smells to your memory? So Jesus brought Peter right back to the night of the denial, and not to make him, not to crush him, not to make him, but to help him to understand how deeply Jesus loved him when he said, "Peter, will you feed my sheep?" You know that that, that was huge. So, you know, I think that's, that's a pattern that Jesus establishes in here by cleansing the temple early on and then coming back in saying, oh, I've got to do it again. Okay. Uh, there's, it's pretty much the same thing both times, except Jesus makes two different accusations. So let's look at this first one. John chapter 2, verse 13. There's what the Bible says. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told them, told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Okay, So this has always been a fascinating story to me because we always get this picture of Jesus as this really kind of calm dude, you know, really peaceful, meek and mild and all that. And then suddenly we get to John chapter 2 and then later on in the Synoptic Gospels and Jesus turns into a, a, a fury. Uh, There's this whirlwind of motion. He has stepped into the temple, and the temple is a place where where hundreds of thousands of people could gather. Okay, masses of people. It's the Passover. It was part of the Jewish regulation to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover, and not just for Jews. Gentiles would come there as well. But see, here's what Jesus found when he got to the temple: the court of the Gentiles where the people of the nations were to gather so that they could worship God, had been turned into a marketplace. The priests saw good business in 
accepting only Tyrian silver because they believed that was the purest of silver. So if you showed up with your sacrifice or you had to purchase your sacrifice and you just put out regular silver, it wasn't Tyrian silver, they'd say, oh no, you've got to go over to the money changer there. And of course it was marked up a little bit. Okay, kind of like what we do at the motorcycle rally in August. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and so they were profiting from it. And so when Jesus came in there, he got angry. He was furious at what he saw. And it's because Jesus, the Son, best understands the passion of the Father's heart. And if you read through the Scriptures, and I encourage you to do this, you've heard me say it before, go back to Genesis and read through whatever pattern or routine you want to use for getting through all the Scriptures, and look and see how many times it's emphasized that God's passion is to make His name known to every nation of this world. That's why I say, let us enter into missions and bow our heads. That that video, let's get out. Let's get out. Uh, Not just hold us in, but let's get out too. Uh, Here's something. If you ever tell somebody about Brian and and Laura moving away, have you said it in terms like we lost our pastor? No, we didn't. We sent missionaries to France. We didn't lose our pastor. We sent missionaries to France. Now, I lost my best friend. (laughs) I miss him dearly. But we sent him and Laura to France. And I think Jonas and Creighton are being missionaries as well. They probably don't even know it, uh, but it's happening. Okay, So that is God's passion. That is the Father's passion. And the court of the Gentiles, it was always God's heart. Not just that Israel would come to the temple and worship Him. He designed the temple in such a way that the, the nations would be able to come. And it was Israel's job to go out and invite them. It was up to Israel to say, Hey, uh, you, uh, you Syrians... We want, to, we want you to know our God, this God who's done amazing things for us, this God who delivered us out of bondage, took us through the Red Sea, fed us with, with, with manna, talked to Moses through a burning bush, uh, just did amazing things just for us when we never deserved it. And, and we want you to experience that same thing. That was really their job, just like it's the church's job to go into the world today too. And so when Jesus saw that Israel was not doing their job, but had turned their relationship into God into a business... He was not having it. I mean, look at that picture. He makes a whip. Now, it's not the kind of whip that's really going to hurt anybody. I mean, it'd be like hitting you with a swim noodle or something. You know, it makes a lot of noise, but it doesn't hurt. And, and he used that to move people. And I don't think he got overly violent because we have, the, we have a Roman guard right there, man. They would have moved in instantly if this would have turned into some kind of a riot or mob scene. So I don't think it was that, but he still moved with enough vehemence. And I think people saw the passion of his character so deeply in that moment that they're like, okay, we're, we're moving. We're getting out of here. And, and even, as they're, even as they're leaving, with their sheep, come on, bring the livestock. They're getting out. Jesus is still busy flipping tables over. I thought I was going to watch my daughter do that once. We were playing Settlers of Catan. <laughs> okay, number one, Settlers of Catan is a relationship destroyer. I'm telling you that. Number two, if you play Settlers of Catan or any game with my son-in-law, it's going to get 
aggressive. <laughs> He's going to get competitive. And anyway, he made a move that just cut her down, and, and that was it. And the night before we had played, what was that railroad game? I can't remember. Ticket to ride. Yeah, well, we did the same thing to her that night. <laughs> I thought, well, we're going to have marriage counseling happen. <laughs> and anyway, yeah, I mean, she just stood up, and I, I thought it was going to happen. I thought she was going to do this. She was going to go full Chewbacca. And, 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 but anyway, yeah, we've all kind of, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've flipped the table over or something. Um, you know, we just don't go, oh, I'm going to flip a table over. You know, there's usually something that's made us pretty passionate about it, that that's the action that came out, and, and Jesus is overturning tables. Yeah, these, aren't, these aren't little plastic folding tables. He's, these are heavy lumber tables he's tackling there. And then the thing I always thought was so neat was in the fury of his motion, he stops where the pigeons are. And here we see that, here we see where Jesus' anger is so much different than ours. Because our anger controls us. Jesus is in control of his anger. He stops and says, turn them loose. He didn't flip over that table, because that could have hurt those birds. And some, some people say that perhaps what was on his mind at that point was that was the sacrifice that Mary gave is the only sacrifice that she could afford for her cleansing after giving birth to Jesus Christ. No, I don't know. Uh, but I, I just do know this, that in the, in the fury of his uh, rage there, he could stop himself and say, don't hurt them, let them loose. And the disciples, this is the one thing they remembered. Okay, And when you read through the Gospels, how many times did Jesus say, now, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be taken prisoner by the, by the elders. They're going to put me to death on a cross, and I'm going to rise again. How many times? Over and over and over again. And when it happened, they're just like freaking out. Why didn't you tell us about this? Oh, yeah, he kind of did, didn't he? <laughs> but this is the one thing they remembered. Zeal for thy house would consume me. And, and that zeal, that passion for the temple consumed Jesus. And, and they saw it clearly there in that moment. Okay, well, the thing that's different between this one, the first cleansing, and the second cleansing, is did you see what Jesus told them? The, the accusation he, he took? You have turned my father's house into a, a marketplace. In the later cleansing... We see that often people left to themselves tend to get worse rather than better. In the second cleansing, it was, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. <laughs> That's a little bit ramping up, I would say. But he had a problem to, at the first time, too, and it was a big one because marketplace. And here's what Jesus was saying. This place, which is supposed to be holy. This place, which is supposed to be the, the area where the, the, the Gentiles, the people of the nations, could gather to worship my Father's name. You've turned it into a business place. You've made it common. And that's where I think it, it gets down to the nitty-gritty for, for me, and, and, I, and I think for the rest of us as well. Um, by the time Jesus showed up, the, the, the Jewish priests had kind of forsaken their duty. They got caught in a routine that turned into a rut. And uh, they, they reduced the temple to a common marketplace where tradesmen were practicing corrupt business. And it was never meant for that. It, it was meant to be holy. 
And so that began a process in my mind of thinking, what does God call holy that I might treat as common? What does God call holy that I might treat as common? And I began to think a lot about those things. And, and then I began to, to, to ask myself, well, what is holiness? I mean, what, what is holiness? We, we're going to be talking about that in the next few messages for a while. It, it comes up next week. And I know when Mark Cole's preaching, he's going to talk about how we are holy and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's always kind of been defined that something that is holy is set apart. Okay? It is other than. Um, it is different. It's not like the other things. Okay, uh, holy is completely unusual to the usual. Holy is very uncommon to the common. Okay, um, there's when when we talk about God, we say He is holy because there is no other God beside Him. Okay, He is. We 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 get that. There's no other God besides. Yahweh. And, and so we understand that, what holiness is. But do we really understand that? Because it applies to so many other things. The Holy Spirit, you know, He's not just Casper the friendly ghost who steps into our life and, you know, makes things better or something like that. He is the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit's number one job? Jesus said it was this to glorify Christ. And what does that mean to glorify Christ? It means to make Him known to this world. So, anything that is holy exists because it's a means by which God reveals Himself and makes Himself known to this world. And now you can see why God would have such a passion about holiness. You know, when we talk about glorifying God and that sort of thing, it ties in. That word holiness ties right in with that. You, they're not really separate things. So I sat down and I began to think, well, what, what else is considered holy? I mean, it's, it, it's something that totally belongs to God. It's, it's something that totally identifies with God and identifies God in its existence. And, uh, and how am I treating it? You know, am I treating it for God's purposes? Again, if it's holy, it's meant to make God known in this world. It's meant for God to be able to be introduced into someone's life. It's meant for people to actually experience the presence of God. In the temple, starting with the tabernacle, um, God dwelt with His people Israel. And so they had a place in the tabernacle that was called the holy place. And that's where they had the menorah set up that represented the uh, um, uh, the burning bush where God spoke to Moses on holy ground. Okay, um, It had the table of showbread. The bread was there to remind them of the, the way that God had provided and cared for them during the, during the wanderings and, and whatnot. Uh, but beyond the holy place, there was this veil that no one could pass except the high priest, and, and that only on special occasion. Uh, that place was called the Holy of Holies. You didn't go in there because you'd die, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, you walked in backwards if you were the high priest. Uh, the Holy of Holies was where God dwelt in the presence of earth. So maybe let's, let's define holiness this way. Uh, holiness is where heaven and earth intersect. You know, 
Heaven actually touches earth. And it's holy. Because God is making His presence known. So as I began to think about this, I, you know, I, I thought of the obvious things, uh, you know, like God's Word, the Holy Bible, right? <laughs> I mean, the whole purpose of the Bible, it's not a regular book, you know, and it, it's not, it, it's totally different, it's totally other than, and it's totally for the purpose of God unveiling Himself to mankind. You know, we call it special or specific revelation. It's a way in which we can know who God is. We can know who we are in our relationship with God. We can understand how to enter into that relationship with God. It explains salvation to us. It's holy. When we pick up our Bibles, every single time we open them to read them, we are at a place where heaven touches earth. But oh, how often am I guilty of just turning it into a reading routine? Like it's some sort of obligation. Well, I am obligated. I mean, Christ gave himself in my place so that I could be restored back to a relationship with God. I I do have a sense of obligation. I want to know you, God. I want to grow. I want to know who I am in you and that. But when it just becomes a routine that turns into a rut... And we're not getting anything out of our Bible reading. It's probably because we aren't treating it as holy. We're treating it as something else. Some kind of a best-selling self-help book. The next thing I thought of was God's name. We we know that one. Don't take God's name in vain and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, we don't even fully apply that because we just think it's about cursing and using God's name in the curse or that kind of thing. But, yeah, you know, if, if I take on the name of Jesus Christ, if I'm not walking in the purpose that Jesus Christ has established for me, I'm taking his name in vain. Okay? So we, we can't be, you know, we can't just take God for granted. We can't take his name for granted. You know, it's interesting that that's, that's what Christians were originally known as. They weren't originally known as Christians. That was an insult uh, in Antioch later on. You little Jesuses, you little Christs. Originally, the disciples of Jesus were known as people of the name. Of the name. Uh, In some cases, they wouldn't even say the name because it was so holy. Here's something really interesting. You know, the Old Testament, they didn't have printing presses back, back in those days. And so it's, it's amazing how the Jewish scribes would copy the original autographs of, of the, the prophets of Moses and things like that. And they would make thousands of copies of that. And the way they did it was so amazingly accurate and exact that they were probably better than what we get off of a Xerox or a copy machine. Because you can have a malfunction with those. I do every week when I'm printing the bulletins. Not the machine's fault, it's probably me. <laughs> but they, they would have the original over here and they wouldn't even touch it. That's how holy the original was. They, they had a little gold pointer. And, and, you know, this is how I copy things, okay? Business as usual. Business as usual. Okay, I take a phrase, all right? No. Okay, let's go down to business. I'll just write business as, as usual, usual, okay? No, they wouldn't do that. They would go to one letter and write it. Next letter. And write. Oh, I'm going backwards because they go right to left. <laughs> and you know, a, le- a letter at a time. Space, space, letter, letter. 
That's how they would do it. And they would do it so accurately that, that we're told that you could drive a nail. If you stacked up the pages, you could drive a nail and you know exactly what letter got punched by the nail. Isn't that amazing? Okay. They were allowed three mistakes that they could correct. You know, like, oops, I shouldn't have put that dot there. So they, you know, they had a way of erasing that out and correct it. Once you hit number three, no more mistakes. If you make a fourth mistake, you have to start all over again. I was so bad for the poor guy doing Isaiah. Chapter 66. I'm on number four. No! <laughs> There's probably a lot of frustrated scribes. But, you know, and that's what they would do. But what was really interesting, they get to the name of God. They would stop. They would, they would go over and wash their hands. A ceremonial cleansing. They would come back to it. They would, they would pull out an entirely different ink, an entirely different quill. And then they would, they would write that out, that, that, the Tetragrammatron, which we translate as Lord, small, small capitals all the time, Yahweh. They don't say that, okay? They would write those four consonants in there because they're actually shortening the whole name because it was so holy. They, 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 that's just how they did it. They didn't include vowels in it. Then when they got done writing the name, they would discard that quill never to be used again. And that ink that they just used, never to be used again. That's how other than the name of God was to the scribes as they did that. And I think to myself, oh, how flippantly I can use God's name. OMG! We all know what that means. How common God's name becomes in our vocabulary. Yeah, I tell you, I got convicted. Uh, a communion. A communion, we consider that a holy thing. I mean, Paul had to chastise the Corinthians about the way that they celebrated communion because back in that day, they did it in the context of a full mule. Full meal, not mule. They didn't eat mules, as far as I know. Um, but they had a full meal there. And, I mean, you know, that's the origin of potlucks, I guess. And uh, there were people that were just running to the table, and, uh, you know, and they're putting the money. And they weren't even thinking about the bread and the wine that was on the table. The bread and the wine was on the table to remind them of the sacrifice that Jesus made for them for their salvation. But they were just thinking about their appetite. You know, they were even eating ahead of people that were hungry. So that's why he got so hard on them. He said, That's why some of you are dying. You're getting sick and dying because of the way you're treating Holy Communion. And I thought to myself, boy, has there ever been a time when communion was offered and I just kind of went through the motions? You know? I kind of forgot what it was really about. I can do that. The Bible tells us that the seventh day was made holy. A holy day. That's where we get the word holiday. Uh, you know, God created the first holiday. And, and He meant for us to rest on that day. He meant for us to not do business as usual on that day. But to do unusual business. And that was just to rest and enjoy Him. You know, but it's so easy for us, especially in our culture, that even, even that day loses its specialness. We, we forget that that's a day where heaven and earth can connect. It's a day that God could use to make Himself known. Uh, all over the world. He can do it on any day, but specifically that day. Marriage. <laughs> I almost went, marriage. <laughs> uh, 
Holy matrimony. That's what we call that. Marriage is a holy union between a man and a woman. And the reason it's set up that way is because God intended for that to be a picture to all the world of, hey, everyone, this is what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bridegroom. Or, I'm sorry, I got that right. The bride. We've turned it into groom and bridegroom. But, but that, that man and woman, that special relationship that, that involved a celebration, that involved a ceremony, that involved so many different things, and we do that all around the world, no matter what our cultures are, we treat marriage as different, at least we used to. Because it represented God and His people. It was a way for people to look and to see what does it mean to have a relationship with God. They should look at a husband and how he treats his wife and say, you know, he does that because that's how Christ loves the church. And they should look at a wife and be able to see how the wife respects her husband and and say, she does that because that's how the church responds to Jesus. Christians, what have we done to marriage? What have we done? There's just as many Christians signing divorce papers as there are non-believers. How did that happen? When did we get to the point that a relationship between a husband and a wife was just a regular relationship? When in reality it's the most special human relationship that exists on the face of this earth. There's no other relationship on earth like marriage because... It was meant to be holy. I can easily fall into a rut, even in my marriage. So I'm going to say this to my church family, because I need my church family. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a husband like Christ would be a husband to my wife. I don't want to take her for granted. I don't want to take our, our relationship for granted. I want to treat it as holy. And I need to do that. So I'm asking you to hold my feet to the fire. And, and, and I hope we would do that with all of us, you know. That, that in all of our marriages we'd just stop and go, where is it right now? Let's treat it as holy. Let's really make this a testimony of who God is in our lives together. Okay? Let me move on because I didn't want to make that all about marriage. Our bodies! <laughs> I never thought of my body as being holy, but it says it right in the Bible that our bodies are holy. And I think the reason that is is because our bodies, you know, whatever they look like, whatever condition or shape they're in, are all made by God, created by God to be the vehicles that carry the image reflectors, our souls. See, when we were created in the image of God, we were meant to make Him known, to reflect Him to this world. And, and, and so we should take care of our bodies. Because we only have them for a little while because of death. And then guess what? We get new ones. You know, so many people have a misunderstanding about eternity. They, they think that, that the Christian view of eternity is we, we're just trying to escape the physical reality. No, we're not. You know, read it again. When, when the old heavens and earth pass away, does, what does God do? He makes a new heaven and earth. Where does the new city Jerusalem come down to? Out of heaven? To earth. Do you think maybe he wants us to exist on this physical ball? 
In physical bodies? Yes, because Jesus was raised in a physical body. And we will be just like Him, the Scriptures tell us. Okay, But until we get that new one, that does not have titanium running from here to here. <laughs> and make weird noises when you roll out of bed in the morning. Was that one of the noises? <laughs> until then, we, we have to take care of these things. And, and, and we can't just treat them as business as usual. These are special to God. He owns them. We don't. Our bodies are not our own. They have become temples of the Holy Spirit. The place where God dwells. I hope that just kind of gives you a whole different perspective next time you look in the mirror. In fact, I'd encourage you to do that. Just look in the mirror and go, Temple. The place where God dwells. Not because He has to, He chose to. Each and every one of you, God chose to make you His temple. A place where He can dwell. Why? So that when people see you, they get a chance to see God. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about how that happens in another story, in another message. So I'm going to move on. Um, in Ephesians 1.4... We are told that believers are holy. Okay, so look around. Everybody that's in church today that is a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're sitting next to one, you're sitting next to a holy person. Okay? Not because they dress up in robes and the sun opens up and through the clouds and the choir goes, whoa, and they, you know, no. I mean, I think that happens when my daughter enters a room, you know. <laughs> but, uh, that's just the way my mind works. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, your fellow believer is, is a holy, holy thing that God has created and saved for Himself so that He can, he can make Himself known to this world. I think that's why the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave to us is, hey, love God with all your being, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? But we're not too good at that. Because we forget that the others are holy. Jesus said, this is how the whole world is going to know that you are my disciples. By going to church on Sunday. By entering into mission fields. By praying. Often, by reading your Bible. No, he didn't say any of those things. Not that those are bad things, but he said, here's my trademark. You looking for my logo? How is the world going to know my brand? It's by your love for one another. Now we're told in 1 John that you cannot say that you love God whom you've never seen and at the same time hate your brother whom you have seen. That's why Jesus combined those that, that into one commandment, really. Love God with all you got and love your neighbors yourself. I cannot love my neighbor as I should unless I'm loving God with all I got. And I can't love God with all I got unless I'm loving my neighbor as myself. Okay? So I, I just think that's the most practical thing for us is to remember, man, this is about love. It really is. It, it's not a cliche. It's not a trite saying. It's, it's not any of those things that... that, that Instead of business as usual, the un, unusual business that I should be attending to is how am I doing at loving my fellow believers? Okay, How am I doing at that? You know, 
talking to my wife the other day, I said, you know what? I did not grow up in a, in a verbally expressive family, nor a very physically expressive family. I knew my dad's love language. I knew my mom's love language, but it wasn't in either of those things. We're not even Norwegian. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> Sorry. I told myself I would stop telling Norwegian jokes. So I, I start telling Hittite jokes, because there's no Hittites anymore. You can't offend anybody if you tell a Hittite joke. When I hear a Hittite joke, there's these two Hittites, Oli and Sven. No, I <laughs> Anyway, I, I was like, uh, I have to get better at that. You know, I'm not wired for that, so I have to ask God, actually, to do that, because the Holy Spirit is, is, is producing love in us, so we should know how to communicate it. We should know how to express it. Okay? So common ground, I love you guys. I do. When I first got here, I thought you were pretty weird. I still do. <laughs> but I love the weirdness. And, and I've, I've just really come to, to just love you guys. And, uh, and I'm, I'm like, well, why don't I say it? Why don't I say it? Here's a challenge. Try to get through the greeting time without getting a hug from Ted Hayward. Because that's how he expresses love. Okay? It's physical. He's going to let you know he loves you. He cares about you. And, uh, and I love how you do that. You know, let's get better at that you know, together because every believer is holy in the sight of God. And then that takes us to the church, the body as a whole. Um, it's so easy to take church for granted, isn't it? So easy. Um, but if we begin to see church as something that God has created, that, that God has allowed to exist for the purpose of making himself known to this world... Um, then I think we would, we would treat the body differently as a whole. Um, if we would see that God has given us an incredible gift for our sanctification and for our service, I, I think we'd have a whole new perspective of what church is. Okay. And, and, and I think we could add and go on and on and on things that, that belong to God, things that are identified with God, and things that do identify God, that make Him known to this world. And, and I think we should all think of those things, make the list, and then ask ourselves, am, am, am I like one of those guys in the, in the court of the Gentiles? Have I turned it into something common? No, because... That's a good question to ask because I'd rather find that out now than have my, have my table flipped over. And I believe Jesus will do it. Someone told me, you know, after my, after my bicycle accident, well, I'm sure God has a reason for this. I just love hearing stuff like that. <laughs> so I had four months to just kind of, you know, go through life crippled in a whole different way. Uh, okay, he wants me to wear a bicycle helmet. Got that one. I had a routine of not wearing a bicycle helmet. Now I'm developing a new routine of having that helmet there 100% of the time, those kind of things. Um, but I, I think it just kind of came down to this was God was really kicking me out of my rut. I, I hadn't realized that I'd fallen into a, a spiritual rut. And it's so so easy to not realize it, I guess I should say, because you're, you're busy serving or you're busy doing this. You know, you're busy, 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 right? Business as usual. But you kind of forgot that you fell out of touch with, with God while you were doing all those things. So, so I think that was it. I, I think that was God flipping my table over to help me have a whole new perspective on what it means to have a relationship with a holy God. 
and to be made holy, not by any of my own efforts, but to be made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it comes down to. Nothing, nothing else can do it. Uh, you can't buy anything on a, on a store shelf that's going to make you holy. You can't read a book that's going to make you holy. Um, another man can't come along and boop you on the nose. Oh, you're holy. <laughs> it, it, took this, it took God, the holy God, stepping down here onto this earth. Remember holiness? Earth and heaven intersecting? That was a holy thing when Jesus died for us. It was a holy thing. No one else, no one else can do that. No one else has. No one else will. It's completely other than. And that's, that's how we enter into this relationship. So what an amazing thing that, that God has done that. That the holy God would make us holy through the holiness of Christ. <coughs> So let me close with this. Because it was a random thought that just kind of jumped up at me because I was thinking about how angry Jesus was. And I began to think of things like righteous indignation. And I began to justify times in my life when I was a real jerk and called it righteous indignation. Only Jesus can get away as cleansing a temple. None of us can do it. We don't have the right kind of anger. And if you're wondering why I say that, it's because it's been black and white in the Bible. In James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for, because, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I used to read this and think that I had to have the same kind of angry zeal that Jesus had. And I kind of realized that, no, that's his job. I can't do his job. Jesus didn't put this in here so that I would know how to be angry at other people and flip their tables over and stuff like that. Tell them how to drive. He, he put that story in there so that we would know how he feels about things that are holy. So that we would feel the same way about things that are holy. Let me illustrate it with this. Remember Moses? Remember, he's, been, he's had a tough job. He's had, to, he's had to get these people through the wilderness, and they've been complaining the whole way. There have been times when they should have been obedient, and they weren't obedient, and it just made the job tougher for them. Moses didn't want to wander around for 40 years. He wanted to get into the promised land. Right? And then one day, even though God had never failed to give them water when they needed water, one day they're all boo-hooing for water. And Moses says, Oh, you people... How often must I do this for you? And he takes a stick and he smacks a rock and water comes out of the rock. And Moses got pre-evicted from the promised land. The reason for that is given in Deuteronomy. You've got to read everything carefully. Deuteronomy, that's, a, that's not an easy book to read. In Deuteronomy 32.51, God told Moses this. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people. You know, maybe we're all not quite in the promised land with God. It's where He wants us to be. 
He wants us to be in that beautiful relationship with Him. And, and maybe, we're, maybe we're just not quite there, and maybe it's because somewhere in our life we aren't treating Him as holy in the midst of the people. And, and I think that what God is just saying to us is, you know what will quicken your faith? You know what will, will light your fire? You know what will reignite your passion? Um, you know what will just make you come alive spiritually? Treat me as holy. That's all. Treat me as holy. Completely other than, completely different, completely separate, not business as usual, but the most unusual, the most uncommon, the most spectacular, the most wondrous, the most fantastic, the most fabulous, the most magnificent relationship that you could ever know. Walking with God. Because He made it possible. Let's pray. Lord, I cannot pray without first asking for forgiveness. Um, As I was going through that list, I could think of many times when things that, that you have declared holy, I have not treated them as such. Lord, I'm sorry for that. So, Lord, we come before you the, knowing that the only thing that can, can gain us forgiveness for where we have failed you, and, and, and we all have, um, Lord, the only, the only sacrifice that we can bring to you to atone for these sins is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ already made. So, Lord, let us begin there. Help us to see the holiness of that sacrifice Help us to see that the reason that happened was was so that you would be made known to this fallen world. And that this fallen world could walk in a relationship with you. That that we as fallen sinners are able to to be forgiven and to step into a restored relationship the way it was supposed to be. But Lord, let us not take that relationship for granted. Lord, help us to treat you as holy. Remind us of your holiness. And I guess if you've got to flip our tables over, it's a painful thing to ask for. Lord, flip our tables over, even if you have to do it twice. Because we want to honor you. We want to show our love for you. And we want to love our fellow human beings the way we ought to. Lord, you are holy. And it's declared in the heavens, holy, holy, holy. Lord, help us to start each day with holiness on our lips and end each day with holiness in our rest. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.